Welcome to the webinar, everybody. We really appreciate uh, all of you taking uh, some time here after lunch on, uh, at least in the Northeast, what is proving to be a very cold and blustery uh, winter storm day. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the prevention paradox, and uh, we'll get right into this uh, topic. Uh, but before we do, I want to introduce uh, my co-panelists with me. Uh, Tyler Smith from Dark Rhino joins us. Uh, Tyler, do you want to give a little bit of your background real quick? Uh, sure. So um, I uh, am a military veteran, served in the Marine Corps. I was an infantryman uh, and uh, got into technology, started working at Apple and worked in security as uh, an analyst for a while and then started doing consulting and then started dark rhino security after doing that for several years uh so that's my background in a nutshell i chris garrett's i think yeah. there's a little bit of overlap there other than the apple part <laughs> please go ahead <laughs> yeah definitely we didn't run each other in the military but i, I did spend uh 10 years with the air force so I was, did everything from system administration when i was younger to uh, leading the incident response team and the hunt team at the Air Force CERT for a while, founded InfoSight uh, with a couple of those folks back in uh, 2014. And right now we just basically focus on incident response and uh, and hunting for our, our partners and our customers. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's give everybody in the audience just a very quick 30-second uh, intro to both the of our respective companies. And, and I'll just, uh, on the Dark Rhino side, uh, Dark Rhino is a purpose-built cybersecurity consultancy and managed services provider. Uh, that is all we do. We don't uh, do IT infrastructure. We don't do any other ancillary uh, services. Uh, we're purely dedicated to cybersecurity. And our difference is in the value innovation that we bring to our offerings so that companies of all sizes can be enabled with leading cybersecurity protection. Um, and uh, it's a we have a pretty comprehensive portfolio uh, that covers most of the critical elements of the sand sliding scale, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, Garrett, if you want to just quickly introduce InfoSight, that'd be sure. great. Yeah, InfoSight, we're a Texas uh, headquartered company, but we are a product vendor. We build technology and a tool set, a platform to be able to hunt and uh, to do incident response. So, um, you know, there's other other detection vendors out there in the world, but uh, InfoSight uh, really focuses on that advanced hunting use case and that advanced incident response and, and investigation use case. So we arm partners uh, like Dark Rhino uh, to be able to do that kind of work. Fantastic. Well then, with, with that, let's uh, let's dive into this a little bit, and I think it would be really good for uh, all the attendees if we could set a little bit of context. And uh, just one quick note before we get into the to the nitty gritty of this presentation is that uh, everyone, hang around till the end. It is the holiday season, and there is uh, a wine raffle at the end to bring a little joy in in these times. So. Uh, I would ask you, you folks, to hang out because you got to be present to win it. Uh, but <laughs> now, with that out of the way, uh, let's get into this. In terms of setting context, I think a lot of folks may be familiar with the SANS 
sliding scale of cybersecurity, right? And basically the ideation behind this is that uh, you should uh, consider making your investments from left to right on this, right? And, and we see a lot of folks uh, follow this, but that is not necessarily always the best thing to do. And it is not necessarily what needs to be done today. Uh, because of a lot of advances in the way uh, proactive monitoring, threat hunting, and cyber intel, which are later parts of this scale, uh, have evolved. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the, the general gist of this entire webinar is about how organizations view their maturity in this. So, you know, every organization is going to be a different level of maturity, whether they're just have antivirus and a firewall at the very left end of it, and they're figuring out patching to they have an advanced SOC and they're trying to augment and figure out what else they, they're missing in their environment. And so regardless of what that is, um, you know, the intention here is, is to take what the, the common knowledge of this kind of material from SANS and from NIST uh, and then think about it in a different way. And so we're going we're gonna to think about it with uh, this paradoxical, paradoxical thing we call the prevention paradox that, that really changes how we think about this particular scale. I couldn't have said any better. Tyler, do you have anything uh, you want to add to this? Um, no, I mean, uh, you know, that that pretty much nailed it. Uh, this is, it's it's uh, like anything else that's out there. It's a good guide for people trying to get a handle on security. Um, you know, you don't have to. It's not a not a rule. Just a just a guide that helps people understand where their money is best invested. And uh, and we're going to kind of use this, like Chris said, to talk about the problems that can arise from focusing solely on these kinds of things. Um, so, so with that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, cybersecurity revolves around prevention, detection and response, right? I mean, those are those are three pillars uh, of cybersecurity and, and uh, the NIST framework has an extensive focus on all three. Uh, but Chris, if you want to jump in here and talk a little bit about the framework yeah. and, and how it relates. I think, you know, we, we talk about five functions uh, of cybersecurity operations uh, when we when we approach NIST. Um, everything from identifying the assets you need to protect, um, to protecting them, and just responding when things go wrong. And that really boils down to two different efforts that folks make. Um, that, that first effort is really figuring out what you want to defend and defend it. Stop it. Stop the attackers from ever getting in. Prevent them from ever getting in. Put your walls up. Put your technical controls in place and protect those assets. That's kind of like, you know, number one. Number two is when, in the case of failure, detect and respond to any incident that occurs. So if someone does get in, if data is lost, whether that's maliciously or some insider thing like that, we need to be able to detect that failure and then respond to it and recover quickly. And so this five really boils down to protect the assets. And if you can't protect them, uh, detect the failure and respond to it. And do you think, Chris, there is um, maybe a little bit of an overemphasis on the prevention side? At least, uh, you know, anecdotally, I personally mm -hmm. see that, but what's your experience with it? I'd like to get Tyler's yeah, view on that too. <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, um, obviously, you know, we, we focus on hunting and incident response, and those are failure cases, you know, through and through. So our, our job is to detect the failure cases and respond to them quickly. Um, that's what we do day to day. 
uh, we find that most organizations are completely ill-prepared to do that. And so they don't have investments in the ability to respond. They generally have a retainer with someone to go in and do an incident response engagement. It ends up being very, very costly and a lot of times late. Uh, and so, you know, we find that most, most investments are in technical controls, build the wall, build the moat, and walk away. Yep. I, I agree with what Chris said. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, easier to build that stuff because it is, it is, a, it is, it's a known, you know, you know, I need a firewall. I need AV or EDR tools on my endpoints. I need a SIM. These are all known factors. Um, and the problem is, is they only get you so far. And as soon as someone introduces something that walks past all of those, that's where you run into issues. Uh, especially if you're like the drunk guy looking for his keys under the street light, uh, because that's where the light's at. And, you know, <laughs> you're never going to find it there. It's, it's, it's already gone uh, through your defenses and, and it's doing whatever it's doing. But, uh, but that's the whole point of this uh, webinar. So, yeah, well, you know, um, it kind of brings up this pyramid of pain, which uh, some folks may be familiar with. Uh, you know, you have, you know, at the base level, things like hash values and IP addresses, things, no knowns that are, that we all know how very well to automate, address, and deal with um, in, in a very repetitious fashion. But as you move up this continuum, it gets exceedingly difficult uh, to automate. And at the very top, you, you very much need that human intervention. It, it leaves the domain of the vendor, if you will, and, and really becomes uh, a thing of uh, human intelligence uh, to deal with some of these TTPs uh, that are out there. Uh, but Chris, you made a comment um, in the on the last slide, you know, about, you know, I guess it alluded to that it's a very reactive process uh, that a lot of companies face where there is an incident and then they're reacting to it. And I think part of this is to shift and turn that around and look at very a very proactive response, uh, proactive hunting, proactive detection, pro, you know, and and really not reveal our own TTPs to those bad guys. This, uh, any thoughts on that you might want to share? Yeah, I think, you know, for the, for the pyramid of pain, it really has two perspectives. One is how hard is it to do these things for a defender? Um, the sophistication of the defender is going to go up when they're, do, they're going up the pyramid of pain. It's going to be harder. It's going to require higher skill sets. A lot of people make, uh, have to make choices about the investments they make there. Can they afford a full-time hunter? Can they afford a full-time monitor? That, that has the skill set to do the top things. Um, oftentimes not. And I, I like Dark Rhino's approach um, when it comes to this kinds of stuff is because you can, you know, not everyone is looking for a sock full of people who can do the entire, the tip of this thing all the time, 24 um, seven. That's what some people offer and they charge for that. Um, you know, in other cases, not everyone needs that 24 seven. Some people need that a uh, risk-based approach, which you guys have on how to apply the harder things and how often. And is that effective to do? And what we found and what, what Dark Rhino is doing, you know, that is that is effective at a lower cost. And, you know, uh, Chris, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, towards the end of this presentation on how what we are presenting here uh, 
with the prevention paradox and addressing it uh, really can be done by a company of any size and even with limited resources and budgets uh, so that uh, they are far more secure than what traditional techniques might offer them. So with that, let's let's uh, let's dive into this thing. That is the prevention paradox. Mm-hmm. And this, I give us a little history on this. This was actually something that came out of the U.S. Air Force, right? It is, yeah. It's, it wasn't well. Um, it's not well documented outside the Air Force. I haven't seen very much of it. A lot of people nod their head whenever I talk about it, and they didn't realize it had a name. So it's never been presented at, at anything. But uh, I first heard this in 2011 from a friend of mine uh, who's still in and, and doing crazy stuff. Uh, but they, you know, they haven't. Uh, brought it outside the military because they've stayed in the military. Um, and so I started talking about it, you know, and I blogged about it a few times and people really found it super interesting. So that's why we're here uh, is the fact that this exists. There's this idea that as we make our investments in prevention more and more and more, we do get more secure because we've increased our prevention. But if anything defeats our prevention, we still we can't see that. Uh, and so the prevention paradox is this interesting case in 2011 when we were looking at what we were doing with our investments because we had a layer of prevention and we had a layer of detection and we had a layer of, uh, of response and hunting for getting to those unknowns. You can prevent what you can see and you are confident in. Uh, when you're less confident, you can monitor passively. Uh, and then when you uh, don't know anything that's in there, you've got to proactively go look for it. And so what ends up happening is as you increase your prevention to where you're saying, hey, if I can detect it, why don't we just automatically stop it? Um, there's, this, there's this idea, there's this uh, problem that occurs. And what we found was we took all of our detection signatures that we could make confident and we turned them into an auto block mode and we lost visibility. And so there was this paradox where we, yes, we did increase our prevention capability, but we actually lost visibility on everything that was going to get through and that that case. And so this was a study done to show that if you do try to prevent every attack that attacks you, yeah, you're going to have a lot of a lot of stuff stopped. But when it does fail, that failure case, you will have no idea unless you are proactively hunting or someone's looking at your network. Uh, and so we, we basically reduced our monitoring, reduced our, our uh, effort in, in uh, all those other cases because we felt like we were more automated. We were stopping everything automatically. What do we need to do else? Uh, but we ended up being less secure, and that was the prevention paradox. It was like we increased our prevention, and we made ourselves less secure. We, we became more blind, and that's what this idea is. Because, and, and the reality is, is because the attacker, one of the reason we found is because the attacker is knocking on our door, knocking on our defenses, and getting feedback from that. And they're going to keep trying stuff and go up that ladder, that pyramid of pain, until they find something that's more sophisticated than our prevention, and they're going to get in. And when they get in, they get to stay in there. And is that uh, Chris Tyler, a reason why we see dwell dwell times in environments be so large, 200 plus days, on average, depending uh, on what industry magazine you're reading. That, but it's generally 200 plus days. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that contributes to it heavily, and and a lot of the other part of this is the human element, the way that they get used to the, the security controls that they have. And they they get to trust them, and it's like a security blanket almost. Uh, you know, it's not really protecting them from anything that uh, that they are going to be hurt by uh, beyond a certain point. Uh, there is a lack of protection, and that's. I mean, if you if you're confident that your prevention methods are stopping everything, then 
why would you be looking for, you know, compromise? So the more you prevent, uh, there's a chance that the, there's a degree of uh, less safe you become. Yeah, if you don't if you don't know where the edges of that that prevention begin, and you're not looking beyond those, then yeah. So let's let's talk about this then, uh, Chris. You know the the role of detection and response. Uh, what do you see? Uh, um, you know, we, when we see this, is like there there should be a distribution of resources when it comes to this, and most organizations can't afford a full time SOC, and that's why they go to folks like Dark Rhino because you guys can provide a cost-effective way of doing this. Um, but you, you, you know, the, the first case, you know, all secure organizations are gonna devote time to prevention and to stopping the attacks from recurring in the first place, that's important. Um, they're also going to layer on monitoring of their network to make sure they're seeing any of the failure cases. When, when our prevention controls don't stop the attack, can we see it and stop it quickly? Um, that, that detection and response. And that's really where the managed detection and response market came from is because of this need to layer on that detection and that hunting uh, to find the things that get through the, the, the defenses and the things that might be still lurking in there, those unknowns. And so if you have those layers, you're able to, as the, as the attacker iterates against you, a lot of them are gonna give up because your defenses are great and your prevention stopped them. Some of them won't. And they're just gonna keep trying and try something different until they get in. And hopefully if they get in, you have a layer of monitoring and you are able to uh, respond to it so that you can stop them, even if they, they, they are able to get through. And I think, you know, one thing I want to add in on that is for that persistent attacker uh, that is trying to get in, I think one thing that all organizations inherently must do is really truly look at risk uh, to their critical assets, the things that not, when I say assets, just not the computers, but we're talking about, you know, the data. What is the what is that critical data that someone really wants that can be monetized? Because by and large, most of these attacks, unless they're led by a nation state, are monetarily driven, and um, it, it's very very critical that organizations uh, look at that risk and understand it, so that when this is being deployed, even when we're looking at monitoring, or we're looking at proactive threat hunting, we are really you know, you're always looking for that proverbial needle in a haystack, but um, you're really focused on which haystacks you're looking at, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and and let let's talk a little bit about this uh, prevention versus detection and response. Right. So. Yeah. The first, the common wisdom is always is an ounce of prevention worth a pound uh, a pound of cure. I think that's common wisdom. Everyone kind of like uh, is taught that and, and knows that. And I feel like um, it is it is definitely true in most cases. You do need to have that. You need to have some kind of prevention layer. Um, but a lot of folks in the cybersecurity industry, what we found is they're investing in prevention before they invest in anything else. And so what ends up happening is you've got, to use an analogy um, that I've told before, is uh, I've heard folks say, you know, I'm not, I can't afford hunting and I can't afford MDR. I can't afford to monitor my network. And what was, what was the point of monitoring my network if I don't even have a fully functioning defense in place to stop the attacks in the first place? It's just going to be playing a whack-a-mole. That's the, that's the common wisdom I keep hearing. But if you put that analogy in the physical space, it doesn't work. You know, I can't hire a security guard until my fence is completely surrounding my organization. No, 
no, you, if you, the reason you have a security guard is because your fence isn't complete. Something is going to get through, you know, and, and so you don't, you don't wait to hire that security guard because your entire fence isn't perfect or your fence isn't tall enough. Like most organizations don't have a perfect defense and they still need to monitor their network. In fact, they're probably more important to monitor and have hunting, uh, you know, services given to them because they can't stop everything. Which is a little backwards from where the sand scale might guide you to go initially, mm -hmm. but you know, technology has changed, services have changed. So it, it's, this is now a tractable scenario for most, most organizations. We'd urge them to take mm -hmm. a look at it, right? So let's let's uh, let's introduce in our what may be a potential solution here, you know. So when we look at the the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain, which I'm sure everyone here is very very familiar with, right? Um, we're talking about addressing everything post weaponization, right? And what we're uh, what we have put together as a, a potential solution here is what we're terming, I, at Dark Rhino, we term it IPINR. Uh, we intentionally chose not to use the words MDR because we really, uh, MDR is a very reactive thing. Uh, response means that something has happened. Um, so what we're saying is that we're going to go into a very, very proactive mode and we're going to do it on an analytics basis so we can evaluate several hypotheses rapidly uh, and not go through them one by one by one. So for us, IPINR, it's really, you know, incident prevention, incident identification, and then finally response. And um, in the InfoSight uh, tools, Chris, and the technology that you have co-founded is uh, critical to this. For us and as an enabling factor right mm -hmm. so yeah is there uh anything that you would like the audience to know on um any info site capabilities here or should we yeah. go on you know it, it's interesting the the uh the solar winds um briefs that happen or the uh the vulnerability that's out there with that back door uh, that everyone's dealing with right now um you know, some people ask, why didn't we detect this? If it's been in place for six months, if it was delivered by SolarWinds. Um, and just a story here, and this is why you need eyeballs on, why you need someone like Dark Rhino with the skill set and the, the tooling to be able to go do proactive looks and to do to monitor for activity that wouldn't normally flag on your, your prevention stuff, uh, is cases just like this. And so on one hand, every antivirus in the world um, labels some SolarWinds tools is malware. They have a tool called Dameware that they, they distribute. It okay. flags on everyone's anti-malware. And if you call them and you verify this is indeed Dameware from SolarWinds, they will tell you to whitelist on that, that on your AD. So even though it's detected as malware, we whitelist it because we need to use that tool. And it looks like malware. Dameware is a remote access tool. And so there's no way to not detect it as malware. It, it's doing what malware does. Um, but people want to do that, and it's authorized. So we authorize it. And so if you get this tool and it's, it's flagging, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, is this from a vendor? If it is, whitelist it and because it's false positive. And that wasn't the case in this case. But that's why no one really detected it until someone really started looking at the behavior of these apps. Um, and then number two, now that we do know about the vulnerability, there are 30,000 organizations that have this software. How many of them actually got compromised and got stolen stuff from? 
how, how fast can an organization go and search for that and see which systems are affected? Um, it turns out like not very well. You know, we've had a lot of folks talk to us about, hey, uh, we, we published an extension for our product because we can detect that Orion's installed natively and we can detect the use of things like COBOL strike natively in memory and we're gonna monitor that uh, and, and Dark Brown's team's gonna know about those things. Uh, but in the case of this very specific things that could have been whitelisted because it's a vendor product, you gotta go look for that manually. And we en ended up publishing a, an extension to go look for that activity in particular on top of the normal hunting we do, which is very, very broad. Um, and so when you're doing hunting that's very specific, um, that's where you really need the, the expertise of a team like this to do that. And, and I, I believe that your IPINR service uh, offers that to your customers. Yeah, and, and Chris, I would uh, like you to just briefly uh, touch base on uh, something you and I had sidebar with, and that is the whole mm -hmm. analytics base versus the hypothesis-based. Um, yeah. Yeah, th uh, this is something that, um, you know, when you go to, uh, to Black Hat and you go to these talks and you, and you hear people publishing on hunting, a lot, of, a lot of times it is people who have a large sock and a large set of data and, um, and they're approaching threat hunting from a perspective of, I have a hypothesis based on the attackers that we're seeing or that are targeting us. I'm going to go look for that particular activity um, because we might have it. You know, we're being targeted by this organization that uses this one very specific tool or happens to attack SolarWinds. So I'm going to use that hypothesis to go look at my SolarWinds boxes or look for that very specific tool. And so that hypothesis-based hunting is a very advanced technique. It is the one most talked about uh, when it comes to techniques, and it requires a significant amount of maturity to even do. Um, InfoSight particularly does not, we, we don't play in the top 100, Fortune 100 companies that have the resources to do that. So our approach to hunting is very different than a hypothesis-based, which requires existing maturity. Ours is a very broad approach that says, I don't trust anything on your network that's gonna to try to detect this stuff. I'm gonna go look for it. We're gonna do a very broad stroke. We're gonna uncover every rock. Uh, and then when we wanna go on specifics like this solar winds thing, we can add an extension and go look for that particular like activity once we've covered our other bases. Uh, and so the, the approach that we take you know, is that broad look. What are the, all the miter techniques, all the, all the different techniques that could possibly be there. Look, for, look at every um, a process that's activated you know, and verify that that's not known malware as a first brush, and then look for those TTPs as a next brush. And then we can look for specific activity based off a hypothesis, like I might have solar winds breaches. Um, that's the approach that we take and the, the one that we recommend to train for our partners like Eric Rhino. So Chris, let's, let's get into a case study here. And Tyler, I'd like you to add your own commentary here because you've spent quite a bit of time in healthcare uh, yep. with some pretty yep. large systems. But uh, so, Chris, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about this case study? And then Tyler, please jump in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Th this is just a case study. I was I was heavily involved in it, so I got a chance to to look at it and, and review the data. But it was interesting because this is uh, a case where the prevention paradox really uh, demonstrated itself. Is you got this this hospital, seven thousand employees, very common size organization that we deal with. They don't have a heavy heavy sock. Um, they, they rely on outsourced monitoring, they rely on outsourced tools, and so they had plenty of prevention capabilities, which was where most of their investments went into, app control, sender, endpoint security, all these products, and those things do well for 99% of the attacks. Um, but in this case, we had the unknown get through there. Uh, didn't trip any monitoring alarms, didn't trip anything, it just went into the unknown ether because it got in, and the only way that they knew anything was going on was, was app control said, 
something tries to execute out of the temp folder and you have a policy against temp folder activation, um, so we stopped it. You know, that didn't say it was malware or anything. Now you have to figure out, like, what, what did that? Why did that happen? And you're, talk, you're trying to, to bring in all the folks. Uh, we finally, they, uh, they brought the partner in with InfoSight. Um, we looked at it and said, hey, you guys weren't aware of this, but you have an actor that got it, and you have three servers, key servers, that have Cobalt Strike on it that are actively staging a second ransomware attempt. In fact, the thing that, that got caught from executing out the temp folder was a ransomware attempt on every system you have in your entire network. And you didn't know about it until App Control said something tried to execute out of temp folder. Um, you got lucky that you had some kind of detection thing to detect things like that. It wasn't really meant to do that, but it did. It tripped it. Um, but these guys are still in there. They had three key servers, and they were actively staging a second attempt because they got the feedback that you don't allow executions out of a temp folder. So I'm going to do it out of a different folder where you do allow it. Um, and so that's what they were trying to do. Luckily, we caught it in time. We were able to cut off their access. We were able to, to uh, destroy that malware and get rid of the Cobalt Strike on those servers, and it really purged that actor. And so that's really where managed detection and response and the type of service that you guys are offering comes into play is if it's a good service that's able to go and do this, proactively hunt for this stuff. I mean, they were in there for four days and had two, two execution attempts on ransomware. That's enough time to find them, especially even if you're doing a, a risk-based approach where it's not 24-7, um, it is, it is, um, is risk-based. You're still going to find actors like that, especially if you got a little indicator like, hey, something weird happened. Mm-hmm. And Tyler, your experience? So um, kind of tying back to the prevention paradox, uh, when I was working in healthcare and I would find little little threads, little indicators that something wrong, you know, had happened, uh, and I'd start to go down, try to unravel things. And more often than not, I would hit at least at least one person would be like, that's fine. It's just this thing. It always does it. Um, and most of the stuff that I found had been marked uh, false positive in in our sim environment um, by another analyst. And, you know, I I would follow it to the, the very end and, and realize, OK, so I have three machines that are, are doing you know, this list of bad stuff. And um, I would I would send a ticket out and say, please, somebody go get these off the network, re-image these machines. And uh, um, the technicians, the first time I did it, the technicians were like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And, and I go back and look at it, and they updated the ticket with ran malware bytes, uh, removed, like, you know, several things. And, and on one, this one instance, they removed some drivers that were actually critical to making the system work, which is a godsend because it, it stopped working. Uh, so, but they put it back into service because in their minds, they ran malware bytes. It found some stuff, they removed it. They don't have to re-image the machine. And, uh, and it was, it was one of those things where at the time, we did not have the bandwidth to really dig into these things. So when I found something and it looked it, it didn't look right. I would just say, delete that machine and re-image it with a fresh image. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna try and play this game of I'm smarter than whoever's attacking us, and I'm gonna figure out what they did. Uh, I didn't have time. It was like, you know, almost thirty thousand employees across twelve hospitals and over two hundred care sites. So, 
uh, I was I was just like, go get it, delete it, <laughs> reimage it, put it back into service. And uh, you know what was three machines less than twelve hours later was thirty six machines. And uh, and again, it was because you know that prevention paradox. Like, well, I I ran this tool that I have, and it said it got rid of stuff, so we should be okay. Um, but thankfully, he he deleted a driver that enabled um, remote folder access. Uh, some somehow I can't remember exactly what it was, but it really prevented the real bad stuff from happening uh, on accident. So that's a lot of reimaging. Oh yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, with the technology today, maybe some of uh, that work could have been shortened, and we'll talk about that here in just mm -hmm. a second. Is the yep. rapid isolation capabilities that that are there, and it it goes to both how the technology and the service are layered together to make this thing work. Uh, in fact, it's a great segue. Uh, by the way, folks, if you have any questions, feel free to type in the uh, chat and ask those questions um, and we'll try and get to them uh, at the end of this uh, discussion. Uh, but going on, you know, in, in talking about time and efficiency, I, I think it would be prudent to talk a little bit about the architecture, uh, first from a technology aspect, and then we'll talk about uh, the layered in uh, ser service aspect of it and how we're leveraging Six Sigma uh, as part of this response cycle. So, uh, Chris, could you uh, just briefly describe the InfoSight cloud and the architecture here, please? Yeah, and of course, this is all, only one aspect of what um, what Dark Rhino uses, but uh, it's a significant part of the incident response and manage hunting. Um, for InfoSight, you know, we we are a cloud-based solution. We we gather the intel. Um, the type of organizations that we deal with, uh, you know, are, are comfortable with that um, because it it is the most effective way is getting in cloud-based threat intel up to date as possible. Um, you know, not on-prem where it could be attacked in the in the compromised environment. What we do have on-prem is either agents on those boxes monitoring those systems. Um, you know, we have the ability to deploy in a monitor mode like uh, like any other EDR. Uh, in addition to our memory analysis, which is proprietary and, and different differentiated, um, we also have agentless um, methods where we can hunt in an organization. Sometimes people just say, "Hey, you know what? I don't have the money. I don't have the time. We're not we're not going to engage in a full." 100% monitoring thing right now yet. Um, you also have the ability to form assessments where you can go in on a temporary basis and using that Six Sigma approach of risk, uh, a risk-based approach to say, what if we just looked at your environment periodically, uh, look for these indicators in case you have one of those threats that happens to last for six months, um, which is way, way too common, um, then just do that, that periodically. And so we have that agentless capability where incident responders can just parachute in or hunters can go parachute in deploy, look, um, and then and, and go on to the next problem. Um, we're expanding that platform, of course. Our latest stuff, still uh, in a beta uh, kind of fashion, as we are moving, uh, every endpoint vendor has to make a choice right now is how do you expand beyond just the endpoints because people are getting hacked in the cloud, people are getting hacked everywhere else. InfoSight's moving into the SaaS territory where we're monitoring things like uh, being able to do detection, hunting, and response on Office 365, and AWS uh, management layers. And so those SaaS services are being hacked almost, you know, almost as much as, as, as endpoints um, from email now. And so we're, that's where we're moving in. And that, that's a capability that we'll be offering and, um, and, and working with uh, Dark Rhino on here shortly. And, and you know, th there's an extensive analysis capability 
here as well. Um, you want to explain a little bit yeah. about that, Chris? Like we talked about hypothesis-based hunting, you're only doing kind of, you're looking for one thing. Uh, when you approach it from an infosite perspective is I need to look at everything. If I'm, I look at everything in your environment and it goes through our analysis pipeline and says, do I know about this thing? Is it known good, known bad? Yes or no. Deal with it if it is. Uh, then it goes through things like rules. Is this behavior a known bad behavior, like a MITRE rule? Yes or no. Um, and then if we still have a need for going deeper, we can do those heavier things that you wouldn't normally do to everything in the environment. You can detonate them. You can sandbox them. You can do all that stuff. The platform handles all this. And from a right-click, some of it's automated, some of it's just right-click, I need to go deeper. Uh, and so this analytics pipeline really feeds into conclusions that says, even if one AV says it's bad or these guys say it's good, um, we're still going to verify with multiple vendors um, and multiple threat intel sources, is that accurate? Um, so that, you know, even if my solution, like that Malwarebytes, Malwarebytes says it was good, I can count a million times, and Tyler, you've seen the same thing, Malwarebytes may say it's good, another says it's bad, which one's right? you got to make a determination, and that happens all the time, and it's not just Malwarebytes, it's like every vendor has a different set of things they detect, um, and so, you know, it's, it's hard to say who's the best and just use that, it's really about using what the entire community. Uh, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. I want to uh, talk a little bit. You know, you've described very well what from the technology aspect. When we get into the actual service of what IPINR is, where InfoSight is the enabling element for us, uh, we have taken a, a very different approach. So it's a very proactive approach. So the first thing we did, you know, when we looked at um, looking at efficiency, quality, fidelity of data, uh, and and cost, which are all completely intertwined, um, we looked at taking the Six Sigma process uh, and layering it top on top of the incident response lifecycle. So some of you might be familiar with the Demaic. Uh, the design, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And we said, we're going to layer this on top of what a traditional threat handling world looks like. And by doing so, we're going to take some of the elements like that came out of like statistical sampling uh, and of baselining uh, to increase the security of the environment. So let me give you some concrete examples here. So what we would do in the very beginning of working with a client is first baseline the entire environment. And uh, the enabling technology that's underneath allows us to do this pretty rapidly, but it's critical that we establish a very good baseline. I don't think that needs a lot of explanation. Once we've baseline, we really also would want to establish what the critical assets are and put that 24-7 monitoring on the critical assets. So you got a great baseline, you've got 24-7 looking out on the critical elements of it, of the organization, but then you look at the rest of the endpoints where you do get uh, malware, ransomware starts there, or people are in those environments for a long time. There, you know, to, at the same time have a great quality of data, but also help with the cost, we're gonna say, we're going to sample that environment 25% of the time on a quarter on quarter basis across subnets randomly. 
which is very much a Six Sigma technique. And if we're pulling those samples 25% of the time, 25% uh, of the assets at the endpoints, then over the course of a year, we've looked at the entire, entire environment. And, and given the fact that the dwell time is 200 plus days, it stands to reason with our proactive hunting, we should be able to find many of those APTs. You can never say we'll find everything, nobody can, but we should find a significant portion. But what this does is that uh, it has a tremendous impact on speed and resource use, which directly cor correlates to the cost. And it actually brings the technology down, or I shouldn't say the technology, the service of iPyNR down to a level where anyone on Main Street can afford it. And uh, as an ideation, it's a, uh, or as an example, it's fractional to what you folks might be in cost, what to what some of uh, our competitors in the space may be um, putting out there. So um, would love to answer uh, questions on this, uh, but uh, that's a little bit about the iPi in our service, and and we would really uh, love to talk to you folks in more detail uh, than what in the time that we have here today. To, to go into the to the nitty-gritty of it, if you will, right? <laughs>